Good morning, everyone. It's a pleasure to be sharing with you today. Before I start what I prepared, um, I just wanted to ask a question to begin. I wonder if God's been saying anything to you recently? Or maybe more importantly, have you been listening? One of the things I most enjoy about our times together on Sundays normally is that as we gather, people are expectant, people are listening to God, responding to his words and sharing with us as a congregation um, to uplift us, to encourage us, to build us up. And that's something we haven't really had too much of lately um, in a public way. And so I want to ask again, what is God saying to you? Has he put anything on your heart, on your mind lately um, that you have to share with us? Something for an individual, for the congregation as a whole, for our city even. I want to encourage you to keep pressing in, uh, keep listening to God and see what he has to say to you. Because I'm sure it will be for the benefit for of all of us. What I have to share today uh, is something that I felt God was saying to me recently. Uh, I fleshed it out a little bit, I've done a bit of reading around it before I've brought this to you. But this is something I think is an important lesson we can learn from this time, this current season we're in. So I'd like to begin with the Bible passage. Um, it's one I've seldom heard spoken on. Um, and it's the story of Cain and Abel, two brothers who have a bit of a falling out. Uh, now I'm the youngest of three brothers, so I think at times I can relate particularly closely to this story. Uh, we'll read through the passage as we find it in the book of Genesis, which is right at the start of your Bibles, and we'll read in chapter 4. Now the man knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have produced a man with the help of the Lord. Next she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a tiller of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel, for his part, brought the firstlings of his flock, their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is lurking at the door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Cain said to his brother Abel, let us go out to the field. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Tradition tells that this story represents the first family, the children of Adam and Eve. Yet the question Cain asks at the end is one that is still powerful in its resonance for us today. Are we our brother's keeper? In other words, are we responsible for anyone other than ourselves? One of the areas I believe God was working in in the midst of this pandemic to bring about his good is the area of community awareness. Neighbours who hadn't spoken were engaging with one another. We, the church, had renewed motivation to seek out those in our area who were in need. But I think our lack of understanding of community to begin with meant that we as a society were building without foundations. In a time of need, we found ourselves lacking what we really needed to have. I think the notion of corporate responsibility is one of the cornerstones of a strong community. 
So I want to outline a few different ideas of community from across history and different cultures, and then think about what that requires from us as a church and as individuals. Cain asking, am I my brother's keeper? Really does reflect a question around what it means to live in community. And that question is as old as life and community is itself. The Greek philosopher Plato, uh, in his work, The Republic, looks at what the nature of community is. Now he determines a few things. Uh, he says this, a community starts to be formed when individual human beings find they aren't self-sufficient, but that each of them has plenty of requirements which he can't fulfill on his own. Do you have an alternative suggestion as to why communities are founded? No, they replied. So people become involved with various other people to fulfill various needs. And we have lots of needs. So we gather lots of people together, get them to live in a single district as our associates and assistants. And then we call this living together a community. And people trade goods with one another because they think they'll be better off if each gives or receives something in exchange. So if we construct our theoretical community from scratch, its cause is our neediness. Even early ideas about community concern themselves with the needs of those involved and the needs of those around us. Plato's idea of community, however, leads him to a social morality in which we succeed as community uh, when we embrace our individual roles and develop our inner morality. In other words, uh, it seems to be a community of individuals who function together. This is an idea which is later developed by other philosophers, people like Thomas Hobbes, John Locke and Jean-Jacques Rousseau. Now Rousseau, uh, he starts his seminal work, The Social Contract, with this quote. Man is born free, yet everywhere he is in chains. The fundamental question he's asking is this, how can we be free and live together? Well, he suggests that this can only be achieve when one submits their own will, the individual will, to the collective will or the general will of others. In essence, when we commit to ourselves to genuinely caring about the needs of others and start thinking about what is best for our communities, then we are freed from the chains that come with grieving the loss of our independence. And let's not be mistaken, we are enduring a period of grief. Language that's been used commonly since lockdown refers to a new normal as opposed to a former normal, the way things were. We can and should look ahead, look at the opportunities that are presented to us and seize them. We should reflect on what we've learned over this time and move forward into exciting new things. But we are leaving behind a whole way of being. At the start of lockdown, uh, God was reminding me of the Israelites in exile, away from their norms and their routines. They had to find a new way of being whilst they mourned the loss of their homes, their families, their whole world. We are reminded in Jeremiah 29 11 that God's plans for us remain good even in the time of exile. For me, this means two things. We have a hope and we have a challenge. Our hope is that bright things are to come. The opportunities that we see ahead of us will become the decisions that we've made 
and the ways of life that we adopt. The challenge is that we have to be the one to make these things happen. Liberation theologian Gustavo Gutierrez writes about the spiritual journey through the desert places. And I think these words feel so relevant and pertinent to our current situation. He writes this. The passage through the experience of solitude leads profound community life. The solitude of which I'm speaking is quite different from individualism. In individualism, there is a large measure of withdrawal at the level of thoughts and interests in order to ensure a life of quiet privacy. Others may come and knock on the door, but if the individualist opens to them, it is as one who does a favour, as one who graciously adds, so to speak, a community aspect to a Christian life that is self-sufficient without it. The experience of solitude, on the other hand, gives rise to a hunger for communion. There is an aloneness with oneself and with God, however hard it might be to endure at certain times. There is a requirement for authentic community. God, in other words, does not call us to the desert to wander endlessly there, but to pass through it in order to reach the promised land. The journey through the desert creates a community flowing with the milk and honey of the fellowship of those who know God as their father. There we can sing with the psalmist, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head, running down upon the beards of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. My prayer for myself, for Resound, and for the church in general, is that we would allow God to be working in us, using this season of solitude to grow a hunger for community and for unity. One issue, I believe, is that we think we hunger for community, but only the parts we like, be that family, connection, support or other things. It is natural to see the benefits of community and to desire them. We see people like the religious humanist church who reject dogmas of religion, uh, yet so clearly see the benefit of, of church community uh, that they started a church of their own. How many of us are prepared for the hardships of true community? Last week, James read from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, uh, in which he made it clear that it's our duty to look out for those around us. We are, of course, commanded to love our neighbour as ourself. In other relationships built around love, responsibility is implicit. In marrying Emily, I agreed to take some responsibility for her and she for me. My parents continue to raise me, to teach me and to have responsibility for me as their child. I in turn have responsibility for them. As we have been exposed more than ever to the depth of need in our geographical, com geographical communities, we are faced with the challenge of taking on responsibility for those around us. There's an African proverb which says that it takes a village to raise a child. We must escape our self-centered worlds and join with others. Martin Luther King Jr. in his work Chaos or Community raises this challenge. Similarly to Gutierrez earlier, uh, King's words may have been referring to a different situation, uh, but in truth, 
they sound as though he could have been speaking directly to us. He writes this. One of the great liabilities of history is that all too many people fail to remain awake through great periods of social change. Every society has its protectors of the status quo and its fraternities of the indifferent who are notorious for sleeping through revolutions. But today, our very survival depends on our ability to stay awake, to adjust to new ideas, to remain vigilant and to face the challenge of change. The large house in which we live demands that we transform this worldwide neighbourhood into a worldwide brotherhood. Together, we must learn to live as brothers, or together we will be forced to perish as fools. This, for me, is the heart of the challenge facing the church today. Will we lay the foundations of true partnership and community? Will we take responsibility for our brothers and sisters who live alongside us? In her new podcast, uh, Michelle Obama spoke candidly about her passion for working together in communities for the good of all. Just part of her wisdom is reflected in her words here, where she said, We weren't built to do this thing called life in the vacuum. It is much more hopeful, it is much more gratifying and much more effective to live this life as a we. She was speaking in conversation with her husband, Barack Obama, uh, who during his presidency started a campaign called My Brother's Keeper, which supported young people who were particularly negatively affected by gaps and opportunities. Working with communities, organisations, charities and businesses, the initiative offered mentoring, support and training for young people who lacked them. So to finish, we can return to the question of Cain in Genesis 4. Am I my brother's keeper? seems that thinkers, writers and leaders across the world throughout history have recognised that we work best as a community when we are our brothers and sisters keepers. Let us take this time of separation as an opportunity to change, to build bridges between the church and community, between those who have plenty and those who have little, between the family and the orphan, between the privileged and the oppressed. Whatever direction church life may take post-coronavirus, may we keep central to our lives the two great commandments that Jesus said to us. To love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul and strength, and to love our neighbours as ourselves. Amen.